Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Knife. This is Patrick Georgioff, and today we are talking CME, Continuing Medical Education. Expectations for CME can be confusing, but Kevin is going to break it all down for you today in this episode. But before we jump in, I wanted to let you know what we offer at Behind the Knife. Now, as part of continuous certification, the American Board of Surgery requires practicing surgeons, those who are out of training, to earn 150 credits of Category 1 CME over five years. And at least 50 of these have to be self-assessment credits. Guess what? We have these credits, and they're free. This is through our partnership with Virginia Commonwealth University. It's super easy to claim credit. Simply visit BehindTheKnife.org and click CME for instructions on how to create an account. All credits claimed through VCU can be automatically uploaded to your CME Passport account, and you can also search for Behind the Knife CME on the CME Passport website. We currently have 128 episodes from which you can earn credit. Credit types include American Board of Surgery Continuous Certification Credits and Self-Assessment Credits, which require you to take a 3-4 to question multiple choice test. We also have AAPA, ANCC, and AMAPRA credits. So if you're looking for CME, check us out. Now, on to the episode. We hope you enjoy. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Behind the Night. And today we are lucky enough to have a CME episode with the CEO of the ACCME, which is the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. Today we have Dr. Graham McMahon on the podcast. He's the President and Chief Executive Officer of ACCME. Dr. McMahon, thank you for joining us and welcome to Behind the Night. That's fantastic to be here. Uh, happy to chat about uh, everything related to CME. It is my world. Uh, as a practicing endocrinologist, uh, but also as a regulator, happy to chat about education and, and what we can do to make it an easier world and a more effective world for surgeons. So before we dive completely into the CME topic, how did you get involved in this? Uh, so I, I grew up and trained in Ireland and in medical school found myself a uh, uh, an observer of teachers and a critic of tests and uh, found myself really enjoying the teaching of medical students, my peers and classmates, and uh, really responding to the the sparkle that uh, jumps out of a learner's eyes as they learn something new. Uh, so as I progressed through my own career, I came to Boston to train at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in medicine and then endocrinology, pursued a variety of experiences in teaching and learning, uh, became uh, editor for medical education at the New England Journal of Medicine for many years, built that Knowledge Plus program over there and a variety of other features, associate dean at uh, Harvard for continuing education and a whole variety of other roles in the endocrine society and other places. But a lot of that was because of my passion and joy and, and love for learning and teaching. Um, and that uh, essentially got me increasingly involved in continuing education and trying to think about how do we create a system that is 
supporting professional growth, how it's helping clinicians practice at the top of their art and uh, helping support them, you know, flourish in their learning and grow and have their curiosity stimulated, all those things that are also about learning experiences for professionals. But that's my journey. Great. Wow. Yeah, you quite have a lot of experience in the education realm. So, you know, for the listeners out there, why are we doing an episode about CME? Well, you know, I'm three years out into my practice and I'm having to recertify in a lot of boards and different states are asking me for uh, all my CME. And this is something I didn't really experience as a trainee. It seemed like that was sort of all taken care of. And so as I dove in and asked my mentors and, and people around me about CME, everyone seemed a little bit confused uh, about CME, about how we get it, why we get it, what's required by different organizations. Um, and so as I did a deeper dive, there seems to be kind of a lot of evolution, especially in the surgical space. And so uh, thankfully, we were able to get Dr. McMahon on here to help us clarify. So let's just start from the very beginning. Uh, you know, why do we need CME as physicians in the U.S.? Well, the first question is, why do we need to learn? And the answers to that are is obviously self-evident. It is a value of the profession to keep responding to the evolving evolution in medicine, knowledge, surgical expertise, different skills that need to be developed. So we're always needing to evolve, change, and respond to the environment around us. But specifically related to CME, it's not just learning. CME came around because there was a lot of problems with marketing and promotion and junkets in, in education in the past. Uh, surgical device manufacturers, medical uh, pharmaceutical companies were contaminating continuing education for doctors for years. And uh, many in the profession said, we got to stop this and create a safe space for learning that our, our community can trust. And we need to put some sort of regulatory framework in place. From that came the AMA credit back in the 1940s and 50s. And, and managing that credit system and the system that issues that credit essentially came the ACCME in the early 1980s. And that's how we created a system that regulates continuing education now, and largely from that basis. But now we respond to a whole variety of other threats to the system, not just promotion or marketing, but also educational integrity, efficacy, and increasingly data management. Got it. So it's important for us as a profession to have a protected space um, to learn and to keep up with with the times, and that makes sense. So let's uh, dive right next into, I see a lot of things about different types of CUME credits you need, and they're one versus two, and they have some other PRA letters in front of it. Um, what Just what are the types of CME? Well, the first thing you want to look for is to make sure it's accredited uh, continuing education, because that means that it's responding to a variety of regulatory systems that make sure it has the integrity that we need as a community to trust. Um, ACCME accredited organizations, there's about 1,700 of them in the country for everything from the Society for Vascular Surgeons to Harvard Medical School or uh, Medscape. All of these are accredited organizations to deliver continuing education to professionals and they are accredited by organizations like ACCME for the House of Medicine, and our colleagues in nursing, pharmacy have their own regulators. Um, all of them use largely the same rules to hold organizations that aren't accredited accountable for delivering a quality learning experience uh, for physicians and other healthcare professionals. In our system, the primary currency that's issued by organizations that are accredited by ACCME is the AMA PRA Category 1 credit that is recognized as the coin of the realm, so to speak, by licensing authorities, by credentialers, by certifying boards. And we are all beneficiaries of the fact that all of the states 
and those, these boards uh, and credentialers accept this common currency because you can imagine how chaotic it would be if we had diverse currencies for different expectations. Now, that doesn't stop individual uh, licensing authorities like Colorado or Texas or Massachusetts having their own requirements for specific content areas. So you'll probably have seen to meet the needs of Massachusetts, you need to have diversity and diversity equity training as part of your CME program or pain management or opioid safety as part of your educational program. But all of them carry the AMA Category 1 credit. That means it's credited activities by ACCME. And uh, that's what physicians should be looking for. Now, there is a AMA PRA Category 2 credit, correct? Or am I wrong? Yeah. So you can deliver education through your own self-assessment and your own learning plan and apply to AMA, pay them a fee, and they will issue you a Category 2 credit if you wish. There are relatively few people who do that anymore because Category 1 credit is so widely available in many cases free. Got it. So focus on the Category 1 credit and can kind of, for most of us, don't need to really focus on the other one. Kind of broadly speaking, uh, how much CME, you know, once you're done with your training, how much CME do you need a year? Well, different licensing and certifying organizations require different volumes of credit counting. And usually that's in the range of 20 to 30 uh, hours of CME credit per year for an individual uh, licensed in the United States. But it varies between states and uh, certifying boards as to what those expectations are. But most physicians substantially exceed those minimal thresholds for engaging in neuroprofessional development. And I would say as a, as a new physician, a new surgeon into the system, what I would focus on is what are you trying to learn? What have you learned? Not have you participated? Is your bum in a seat? Because honestly, who cares for professionals if your bum is in the seat, if you're half asleep? It's not a benefit to you. It's no benefit to any of us uh, for that to be the case. What you want to be doing is identifying the, your, your growth area, identifying the skill you want to develop, find the CME that you're looking for, and uh, unlearn those skills and build that competency. Go to your annual meeting, go to your local case conferences, build that community through education that uh, all helps you grow as a person, but also as a surgeon and uh, leverage these variety of formats that are out there to help you achieve your professional goals and take care of your patients successfully and safely. As I'm thinking about it, generally we need, the hospitals will ask us for our CME, the state will ask us for our CME, and many times our board will ask us for our CME. Can we use the same CME for all three of those, or do we have to earn separate CME for each of those? You can use the same CME for all of those, fortunately, because that common currency of a trusted infrastructure uh, is has been set up by the profession through the work that we do and the accountability frameworks that we have in place. But yes, you can use your same CME for all of those. That doesn't mean that uh, you can just choose all of your own CME and have it recognized because some of these organizations, particularly boards or li state licensing authorities, will say some of your CME has to be in these domains. And some of the boards, for example, also have this extra requirement saying it not just CME, but CME that includes a self-assessment component. So this is a confusing you know, array of additional requirements. We are as an organization, we're always working with state licensing boards and certifying boards to create simplification, alignment, and a straightforward approach to make everything count and not create these new picky requirements that just make us crazy. 
uh, as individual physicians that are hard to get and create sometimes these monopoly organizations that say, well, we're the only ones who happen to be able to issue this credit for Colorado. You're like, what are we doing here? This is not useful for the profession. But the bottom line is we are fortunate to have created a common currency for continuing education that is widely accepted and adopted by all three of those organizations, credentialers, state licensing authorities, and certifying boards. Thank you for bringing that up about the self-assessment credits. Can you dive into that and, and where do people generally get these and what, and what that means? Yeah, self-assessment is essentially a um, um, sometimes an upgrade on the continuing education um, model that's deployed. So a self-assessment might be a series of questions that you either take after an activity to confirm to the educational provider that you've learned successfully during the experience and demonstrates to the certifying board that you weren't just sitting in your seat, but you were actually showing that you learned something through the experience. So several boards uh, require a self-assessment component for the CME for it to be to be recognized as meeting their expectations for your own professional development. And, uh, and that's similarly reported through the data architecture so you can see how much self-assessment uh, credit has been reported for you as well as how much non-self-assessment accumulating up to the total amounts required by each of these organizations. Now, there's a lot of places we can get CME, but where do you see the majority of physicians and surgeons getting their CME from? Well, most physicians and surgeons uh, tend to have essentially about three educational homes where they get most of their materials. Usually one is where they work. So your grand rounds, your case conferences, your intraoperative kind of mentor to learning experiences, all of those can count towards CME. That's for your first educational home for most individuals. The second tends to be your professional society. Now, some of us have more than one professional society, but at least one professional society that you maybe go to meetings with, go online with, uh, they deliver a variety of content that meets your specific expectations for, in your case, surgical education. Um, and the third tends to be an, an, another site, uh, whether that's a, a data repository site, a, um, uh, an internet searching and learning place, a news site that has a variety of information that also can direct you to continue education based on your needs. Uh, that tends to be the third educational home for individuals. And you can accumulate your education from those organizations. But my encouragement is for individuals who are professionals in our community to think about their own educational goals on a periodic basis and set a little bit of a plan for themselves on an annual basis to say, you know, what, what should I be building this year? Obviously, I'll pay attention to what's new and happening in my field, and I'll keep current with that. But what is a skill I actually want to build this year? Let me build an educational plan for myself periodically. That helps us stay attentive, uh, helps uh, scratch the itch of curiosity that we naturally have as professionals, uh, but also just helps us intellectually grow and be focused on a task and a skill that we're all, so we're always improving. Great. So even surgeons could join a biostatistics EME platform or other um, things slightly outside of their day-to-day. -day. So, so many things, and, and not to fall victim to fall, to assuming that um, you should just keep learning your colorectal surgery because that's your thing. You know, learn communications, learn leadership, learn team development, learn how to assess learners, you know, how to, um, uh, you know, take care of patients who have diabetes, who have surgical issues. You know, it's 
it's a whole suite of things that you could to develop, um, you know, providing inpatient care outside of the OR, you know, whatever it is that's important for you. But most of us can can put our finger on something we know we should know better. And the more in which we're focused on uh, getting that addressed through our own educational program, the more likely as we are actually to learn from it and also make a difference to the patient care we're able to provide. Great. So I know when I've done some CME activities in the past, I uh, download a PDF at the end and have a, a file folder on my desktop that I, I kind of stash that in. Um, is is that how we should be approaching uh, making sure we get credit for our CME or, or, or what's the plan for this going forward? Yeah, so that that used to be the way and that was the way for me just as much as it was and has been for you. Uh, but that's changing because we are we have been creating uh, this cmepassport.org website, which is a national data repository for each individual. Each surgeon can log into that portal and see their own completion records from a whole variety of educational organizations that are reporting into that archetype. And as a result, you can see all of your completions that are being reported both to your state and to your certifying board. And you can compile that information, uh, or that information is compiled. You can you can generate a PDF transcript of your cumulative CME completions that you can present to your local credentialing authority if they don't accept the automatic data transfers from the from the system. And it's all completely free. It's uh, just provided as a service to the profession, and uh, it's available for everyone to use. Uh, but that is the way of the future. Essentially, is managing this through a digital framework, digitizing CME. And my encouragement to surgeons is to talk to their hospital CME folks, go to accme.org, find who the contact is, or if you know them, email them and say, are you using the CME passport system? And if not, why not? We have a whole variety of systems of support for educational providers to make sure they find it easy to report up to that system. And it is easy to report up to that system. And we can identify, because we have a link to the national framework of the Federation of State Medical Boards, we know who every individual physician's identity, we can create the automatic matches that allow uh, me to say, you know, uh, Kevin's licensed in Texas and by the American Board of Surgery, this CME data is available to the American Board of Surgery to see and to Texas to see, but not available to Colorado or to internal medicine, you know, so we can manage the data infrastructure around that to make it available to the authorities that need to see it. Great. So assuming that the place we're getting our CME through is up to date and connected to CME Passport, they should be the ones reporting our CME directly. Yeah, the boards and, and the the credentialers, et cetera, have told me repeatedly they're sick and tired of seeing recipes and real estate uh, profiles being uploaded into the system as CME credits. And, and why do that work of managing or putting the responsibility in individual physicians when it's so easy to manage this essentially flat and straightforward information of learning completions that CME providers already have. So now we're essentially digitizing the entire ecosystem so that uh, it's easier to manage for physicians. They don't have to spend their time managing this this file folder on their desktop and instead can focus on learning and skill development and patient care, which is what we want them to do. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. 
Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, and so what if, you know, I've been doing CME either at my grand rounds, um, et cetera, and, and I, I don't see that getting uh, populated to CME passport? Yeah, so I would... Uh... If you know the CME provider at your organization, by all means, uh, contact them and say, can you start uploading my information to CME Passport? It is very straightforward to do, and it's free. Um, uh, what you won't see getting uploaded is older information. So activities that you did in 2022, 2021, that you still have on those PDFs, and that's the way it's going to be. But going forward, new CME completions that you have, whether it's with your local hospital or with a professional society or an online provider, you should be expecting the information to be up on CME Passport. And if you don't see it there and you want to know who to contact, you can go to the accme.org website, click on Find a Provider, type in the name of the provider, and you'll see the contact information for the CME contact at that organization to let them know that you're expecting to see your information up into that system. Most organizations are getting there. It's just, uh, it can take a nudge sometimes from from individual surgeons to make sure their organization is reporting for them. And so since this is relatively new, uh, at least on the surgical space, if in the past year I was at a conference and I have a PDF, um, is there a way to get that into CME Passport? Not for you. Because of the tendency of individuals to upload their recipes and real estate flyers, we don't allow individuals to upload those PDF certificates at this point. Uh, the good news is that none of the regulators like the American Board of Surgery has expected that information to be uploaded uh, before July 1. And only after July 1 is that data expected to be there for surgeons. As a result, uh, they're still accepting that old information that you, you have in your a- ACS profile, for example, and other things to make it um, to make certifying decisions. But going forward, the data is expected to be there through the CME passport system, reported to the board and to, your, in many cases, your licensing authority. Great. Yeah. So, so what happened on July 1st? Is this specifically a surgical thing that happened July 1st? Well, the, the funny thing is, well, first of all, the pharmacists have been doing this for more than 10 years in a national data system. Uh, they can't believe how far behind the world of medicine is to digitize CME completions. But we've been doing this for internal medicine for seven years, for pediatrics for six years, for pathology for six years. Uh, surgery is just the latest to, to join the collaborative. And as a result, it's kind of been a bit of a like, what's going on among surgeons? While many of the other professions are like saying, well, we've been doing this for years. What are you on a lot about? What's taking you so long? So we're delighted to have the surgeons starting to use the system uh, but it takes a little bit of getting used to because it is a little bit new, but it is a substantial simplification for surgeons. And uh, and the challenge is making sure that they feel like their CME provider is working with them and for them to get their data into the system. But on July 1st, what happened was ABS, well, at the end of last year, ABS said, as of July 1st, we won't be accepting 
direct uploads through the, either the American College of Surgeons profile or, or other ways of CME PDFs, we will be expecting direct data transfers from your CME provider directly to the ABS through the CME passport system. And that's essentially the change that was made very much like the other professions have done many years ago. Yeah, this all sounds like great news overall um, as long. But there might be some growing pains, I imagine, over the next year, just making sure that everyone is actually um, doing this. So if I'm at a conference and I get that email about the CME and they say, download your PDF at the end, uh, should I email them back and, and say, you know, it's not how this is done anymore or, or, or will, will that just not happen anymore? Well, it, it shouldn't really happen much anymore. What you should see is a request for your permission to upload your data into the CME passport system as a prerequisite to claiming your CME credit. Um, they may still issue you a PDF, but they should also be issuing your credit directly into the CME passport system. And honestly, they don't need to be issuing PDFs anymore if they're issuing the credit into the CME passport system. Uh, but if you do are not seeing your data up there, I would talk to your CME provider best to do that beforehand so they're make sure that they're ready because not all activities have 100% surgeons at them. You can imagine you know, an oculoplastics conference having tons of ophthalmologists at it. Maybe there's a few you know, surgeons in there and the surgeons want to make sure that their data gets uploaded. They got to talk to the folks in, in the oculoplastics society to make sure that surgical data is being tracked appropriately in the CME passport system. So the you're better off taking a proactive view on this and making sure that the organization you're doing your CME with and giving your money to is uh, participating and uploading the data into the system. We've made it easy. It is free. There really is very little reason why they shouldn't be doing it. Uh, so it's a matter of maybe a couple of nudges will we'll bring some of those laggards along. Perfect. Uh, and so one question, I think we have a lot of trainees listening. Do residents need to worry about their CME? Not yet. Uh, but they should know that it's coming and, and it's waiting for them and will be there for them to help them continue their growth journey in learning and skill development. Skill development does not stop when you finish residency. Uh, in fact, it's pretty much only getting started. Most of us are practicing completely differently now 10 years after, or in my case, you know, 20 years after completing residency than we ever did at the end of residency. So you are going to have a different career in 10 years and be practicing completely differently. And the way you learn to do that is by engaging in your own professional development activities in CME. The fortunate thing is there's 200,000 educational activities being tracked in our data systems every year. And uh, that is a remarkable range of activities, whether it's SIM-based or interoperative skill development or uh, cognitive development or small group activities or large group lectures, what have you. The range and diversity of educational activities out there available for surgeons and, and, and physicians is just amazing. We have the best system in the world for maintaining currency and uh, building cognitive capacity and intellectual growth. Those are systems uh, that we are real beneficiaries from, and it's protected from all of that marketing and promotion that would otherwise really damage our, our ability to trust the education around us. So we have a system that's working for the profession. But that doesn't mean that most people know ACCME. Our primary relationship, of course, is with the educational providers that we regulate, the schools, the hospitals, uh, the societies, and the like. Uh, so most physicians don't know us, uh, and that's fine. We, you know, we want you to have your primary relationship with your professional society and your hospital where you learned, but they should know that ACCME is active in the background, making sure the system is working for the profession and for the community. And we are actively doing that and, and are pretty proud of the work we're doing. 
Okay, and just to kind of wrap things up, if if I'm looking to, is there is there a repository of places where I can get CME? Say I want to, you know, get learn about leadership or learn about uh, something outside of what my organ, you know, ABS and ACS are offering. Is there anywhere to look for that? Yeah, so if you go to cmepassport.org, which is the same place as you go to look at your transcript, you'll see a search engine in there that at any one time has about 25,000 listed upcoming activities in education and learning activities that are all accredited that you can find. And there's a search tool, a bit like a kayak, et cetera, uh, that you can sort you know, free or fee, local to me, uh, sim-based versus lecture-based, uh, you name it. You can do a whole lot of sorting functions there to find an activity that meets your needs. But cmepassport.org is the, is the place to go to find those activities. I'll also note that you can find on there activities that meet your state requirements, uh, but also activities on there that meet, for example, the DEA MATE Act that requires additional education, pain management education to renew your DEA license. All of those things are available for search and retrieval on that system. And uh, it really is a terrific resource for the profession at Okay, so CME Passport, both to make sure it's getting uploaded and also to learn new CME and, and get uh, new skills. Absolutely. Great. Well, Dr. McMahon, thank you so much for taking the time. I've learned so much about CME. It feels it's like a breath of fresh air, actually. I feel a lot better about it, uh, and it's way less confusing than a month ago when I started trying to figure this out. Um, is there anything else uh, you want to... Leave it well, it's, taken, it's taken me eight years to learn the intricacies of our rather complicated and, and in some cases, anachronistic system. But everyone should know that uh, there are members of the profession out here trying to make it simpler, working to make it easier, working to make it more straightforward and streamlined. And, and we're working really hard to try and get there. And, uh, and we're doing it in collaboration with the boards, with the certifying and licensing authorities, et cetera, all across the professions. Uh, and across the uh, across the community, so we're we're working hard for the profession. Uh, we're small but mighty, and we have a great system that it's out there for for surgeons to use. And and I hope they do so. So one of the things that's that a lot of people are going to be skeptical about is they're going to say, "See me passport." There must be some commercial thing going on here. Somebody must be making money from this system. They must be selling your data or marketing through it or some other reason and be skeptical about a regulator essentially managing a data infrastructure. And what I'll tell you is that it's free for a reason. It's free because we believe it's important for professional development. There is no marketing. We don't sell any information. We don't uh, deliver any commercial value from the system. It is for the profession by the profession, and we're happy to provide it on that basis. And that's our commitment to the community that it will be used in that way. And uh, despite people's ready skepticism that that could be true, I'm telling you right here, it is not commercial. This is a system for us as a community, and we're happy to provide it. Well, Dr. McMahon, we really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on Behind the Knives. Keep learning. Lovely to chat with you. Take care, Kevin. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.